Welcome to our latest installment of Borders Blatherings, our podcast where Mary and I shine a light on the curious, shadowy and often very magical history of the Scottish borderlands. How are you today, Mary? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm not too bad. I'm still on the quest for who it was that actually killed truth, but uh, <laughs> okay. I, I, I'll get there. I will get there. Mary, a question for you before Ooh. we start our little natter today. Mm-hmm. Um, little clue. Late 17th century, mm-hmm. a job well started and mm-hmm. well-planned, mm-hmm. is a job that's only half done. What do you think I'm thinking about here? Oh, Lordy, now you're asking. Uh, possibly Darien? Oh, well done you. Yeah, I'm talking about the Darien scheme. But I would argue not well-planned. Well, <laughs> let me start by saying that, because you're the expert, and maybe you will <laughs> shine a light on some of my my... Uh, thoughts on mm-hmm. Darien. Um, when I have my trainer's hat on mm-hmm. and I'm working with managers from companies in Europe, say VW, Volkswagen or, or, yeah. or Siemens, I often try to address the issue of negotiating, presenting information oh, okay. uh-huh. across cultures, right. this kind of yeah. transnational mm-hmm. approach to things. And because they're both global, they both have a global presence. And when I look at the word culture, it's often collated or followed by difference, cultural misunderstanding, mm-hmm. cultural problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so on and so forth. And when I look through the historical archives on the Darien scheme, I see Darien disaster, mm-hmm. Darien failure, Mm-hmm. Scottish incompetence, and so there's a very strong association of negativity. Mm-hmm. Now, I would argue that it was a failure. Mm-hmm. That I'm not arguing about, but that the reasons that lie behind the failure were not necessarily internal. They were not really about Scottish incompetence and planning, but they were external. There was a kind of geopolitical thing going on in the background. Yes, I would agree with you 100%. So before we go much deeper into that, (laughs) (laughs) maybe you can just go into the history, the background and the rationale behind the Darien scheme. Because it's something that is, I think, central to our story in Scotland. Absolutely. And I'm always amazed by how few Scottish people actually know about it. Indeed. And those that do know about it know so little about it. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, there was a bit of incompetence. There was a bit of poor planning. But the reasons why it failed, I think, were almost all external uh-huh. and almost all political. Yeah. Although a couple of bit of economics in there as well. 
Um, <clears throat> so we're starting off in the, the end of the 17th century. Yeah. We've spoken yeah. about that century before. We know it was a horror fest. It was, mm. there was yeah. harvest failure, there was famine, there was pestilence, there was plague, there was war, we chopped the king's head off, we had a republic, we had the protectorate in Scotland, then we brought back the monarchy, and then we didn't like the Catholic monarch, so we got rid of him, so we got William and Mary of Orange over. King Billy. King Billy, indeed, himself. So he pitches up. So Scotland, by the end of the 17th century, is exhausted and broke and doesn't know what to do with itself. Now, Scotland and England shared the crown. They had a regnal union, but they didn't have a political union. So England wants a political union with Scotland because Scotland is England's back door and they want to completely close that back door. So they want one parliament that they can control. The Scots are saying, nah, we don't want that. Go away. Thank you very much. But as the Scottish economy was getting weaker and weaker and the English economy was starting to build up, mostly because of the English East Indies Company, um, England was becoming stronger and so it was really pushing for that union. So the Scots were not quite sure what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go. Up pops William Patterson. And William Patterson, who was a Scot, who uh, established the Bank of England, comes up with this really good idea. Now, ships at that time, trade was the thing. So you had the Dutch East Indies Company and you had the English East Indies Company. And the two of them were quite well linked because, of course, William of Orange was both English and Dutch. And Dutch. Um, the English are fighting with the French, as per usual, and the Spanish are the other big power and they've got all their colonies in Central and South America. But if ships are trading, they have to go all the way down round the bottom of Africa, out to India and the East Indies. Or if you're going to go the other way, it's across the Atlantic and then all the way down to the bottom of South America, the Magellan Straits, and across the Pacific that way. William Patterson looks at a map and he realises there's an isthmus there at Panama that's only about 100 kilometres wide. And he thinks, well, if a ship were to go there and then unload its goods, you carry the goods 100 kilometres overland and then they go onto a ship at the Pacific, that's brilliant. It's cheaper, it's quicker, it's safer. And what you should do is set up a colony. Scotland could set up a colony there and then people would pay us to transport their goods from Pacific to Atlantic or Atlantic to Pacific. Brilliant idea. It's a great idea. It's a great idea, which is why the Panama Canal exists today. It's a very, very good idea. bit before its time, maybe. But anyway, so he comes up with this brilliant idea, which he takes to London. Because remember... He's well known in London. He's a financier. He, you know, people have confidence in him yeah. and they have confidence in this scheme. So he goes down to London, has a chat with a few people down there and they say, yeah, it's a, it's a gore. And then he goes across to Amsterdam, chats to his friends there and they say, yeah, it's a gore as well. So then he goes back up to the Scottish Parliament and says to the Scottish Parliament, would you like, you know, is, it, is this a gore for you? Let's pick it up and run with it. And the Scottish Parliament say, yeah, brilliant. So in 1695, they set up a company for trading with Africa and the Indies. And obviously, like any company, you need money. So William Patterson goes back down to London, goes to Amsterdam, and he gets lots and lots of big investors. So it's going to be a fantastic scheme. They've got the scheme. They've got the political clout behind the Scottish Parliament. They've got investors. Let's start outfitting ships. And the Scots have a track record by this point. Yes, they've settled uh, Nova Scotia, for example. They do have experience in this type of venture. Yes. They're not complete neophytes. No, no, no. no, no. They do know what they're doing. And as I say, he's got a lot of financial backing. The problem is the Dutch East Indies Company takes one look at this 
and the English East Indies Company take one look at this and went, oh no, uh-huh. oh no, we're not having this. And they go to King William and they say, can you stop this please? You know, you're the king, stop it. Now he can't stop it because he's the king, but he doesn't control the Scottish Parliament. Correct. Yeah, but what yeah, he can do yeah. is he can flatten the idea and he just basically badmouths the idea completely. He says, you know, I can't, I can't stop it happening, but ugh, it's not going to work. You know what the Scots are like and yeah. you, you know. And so a couple of the English backers pull out. Pull out. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of the Dutch, Dutch backers go, oh, well, if the English are pulling out, we better pull out as well. So they do. So all of a sudden you've got this brilliant scheme and this company set up with no investors. So now that's not Scotland's fault. That was absolutely economically the Dutch East Indies Company and the English East Indies Company just saying no. Because at that time, now I'm going to start talking about chocolate cake now. Because... <laughs> But you, we are clear, this is protectionism. It's mercantilism. This yeah, is the problem. Yeah. The economic model of the day was mercantilism. So if you think of a lovely big chocolate cake, mm-hmm. right, and you get a slice and I get a slice, everybody gets a slice of the chocolate cake. But chocolate cake is finite. If I want a bigger slice, the only way I can get a bigger slice is mm-hmm. to take it off of your slice. Yeah. So the Dutch East Indies Company and the English East Indies Company think, well, if Scotland gets a slice of this chocolate cake, our slice is getting smaller. Mm-hmm. We don't want it. So that's why they push William. And William pushes back and the, the, the investors just flee. So William Patterson's a bit down in the dumps, comes up to Edinburgh and he thinks, I'm just going to ask the people of Scotland. And that's what he does. And he asks, first of all, he asks people like the Duke of Buccleuch and the Duke of Oxborough and the Duke of Sutherland and all these sorts of places. And then he asks the doctors and the lawyers and the accountants and the teachers and the ministers. And then he asks the ordinary people. Now, this is where my favourite bogeyman, the Church of Scotland, comes in. <laughs> of course. Of course. I can manage to sneak them into you every podcast every week, I Mary. manage every week, so I do. Um, so, the thing is that the Kirk of Scotland had this thing about usury being a sin. If you make money out of money, if you make money out of nothing, mm. that is sinful. If you dig a turnip, you can sell that for money. Or if I write a book and sell you the book, that's fine. We make a podcast and people donate to our podcast. Please donate to our podcast. Then you make money. Yeah. But you can't just put your money in the bank and then get extra money back. Mm-hmm. That's that's. So they've always been against things. But all of a sudden, this scheme comes along where we're going to go and start trading with people. And we might even convert some of the natives, oh my, for the church. And so the church encourages people and ordinary people who maybe had 10 shillings under their mat just think, well, if the minister says it's mm-hmm. okay, I can give my money. And so that is how the money is raised. And it is raised right the way across Scotland. Something like 40% of the people in Scotland um, put into this scheme. Mm-hmm. Although those figures change depending on where you are, and we'll, we can talk about that later. They raised just under £400,000 which is about 55 million today. Yeah, yeah. And is about 20% of Scotland's wealth at that time. But money then wasn't like money now. It's just like figures in a spreadsheet or in, in your internet banking. It was actual physical money that people handed over. So they've raised the money and the English East Indies Company and the Dutch East Indies Company are raging furious about this, but there's not a lot they can do. Mm. And then they caught on to the idea of stopping the ships leaving. So they think, well, if they're heading over to Central America, they're going to leave from Greenock, somewhere like that. And so they actually send ships up that sit 
in the Irish Sea, some of them even go up as close as the first of Clyde to try and stop them. Uh-huh. So the Scots take one look at that and go, ah, we'll leave from Leith. And they do. And not only do they leave from Leith with all this money, they leave with about 1,200 colonists who are going to build this great colony where we're all going to make money. And how were they chosen? They were chosen partly by lot um, and partly by Patterson and the rest of the sort of councillors within the, the company. Mm-hmm. They decided who they wanted. Right. They also decided what they were going to go and trade with. Now, this is where it's the, oh, well, the Scots took woolen blankets and wigs. <laughs> they didn't. They also took uh, ladies' leather gloves, which is an odd one, but they also took combs and mirrors to trade with the natives, the as natives, they thought they were going yeah. to do, you see? Uh, they took farming implements, they took seeds, they took vegetables with them, they took mm. turnips with them. Oh, the joy of turnips. Um, so they were, you know, they knew they were going to build a whole colony, they were going to call it New Caledonia, and off they go in five ships, and they had names like the St Andrew and the Dolphin and the Unicorn. Yeah. But because they knew the, the East Indies companies were, were really going to try and stop them if they could, they said to the colonists, you're going to have to stay below decks until we're actually uh-huh. out into the Atlantic. Right. So they sail out of Leith, turn to port, just left, for those of us that don't know. I had to look that one up because I didn't know. <laughs> so they port go out, starboard home, posh. <laughs> you pass the port to the left, yes. so no port is left. Yes. They went up past Aberdeen, right the way, you know, round the Caithness and down that way, which is a really perilous journey and took forever and a day. And these yep. poor souls are below decks. Some of them said it was the worst part of the whole thing. Anyway, they set off in July. 1698, and they get to Darien round about the November of 1698. So it's been a fair old journey for them. Yeah. And they pitch up, and they go, this is us, da-da, fantastic. There's a natural harbour. It's brilliant. Except the natural harbour they chose actually had one hell of a riptide and could be really dangerous for ships, so that wasn't a really good choice. And this is the one... The one other bit of real incompetence that I've never been able to get my head around and we have to, we have to take on the chin this one. No clean water supply. And I still can't get my head around why they decided that that was a good idea. But anyway, they decided Mm -hmm. that was a good idea. Unfortunately, they also happen to be very visibly on the trade route for the Spanish uh, who were trading silver. And the Spaniards did not like this because as far as they were concerned, everything in Central and South America belonged to them. Now, they hadn't settled Darien, but as far as they were concerned, everything, everything was theirs. So they're looking at these Scots and they're thinking, oh, well, okay, let's just keep a wee eye on what's going on there. So they pitch up and, okay, they haven't got decent water supplies. And the local people who were known as the Kuna people, I mean, I've no idea what they thought but. Oh goody, another bunch of white people turn up. Peely Wally looking Scots. But these, they've got mirrors, you know, great. These ones are a bit different from the Spanish. You know, they're not fighting as the way the Spanish did. And initially the, the local folk, they traded them. They thought, oh, mirror, thank you very much. Here's some food or a comb for my hair. Thank you very much. Yep. But once you've bought one mirror, you don't need another. And once you've got a couple of combs from your hair, how many combs do you need in your hair? So the Scots at first, they're, they're fine and they're trading. But then they realise that although Darien is beautiful, it's got turquoise waters and the white beaches and the beautiful jungle, it's not suited to farming. It's not really suited to Scottish agriculture. You cannot grow neeps in Central America. Mm. And for all the people that live in Central America, don't worry, you're not missing out, I can assure you. No, I guess no (laughs) neeps. You know, 
So folk were really, really struggling. Wow. And... They, they, they can't seem to get any trade at all. Ships are going past and not trading with them. Mm. Because what had happened was once they had sailed away and the English East Indies Company had realised that they'd sort of slipped past them, as it were, they'd gone back to King William and said, that bunch of Scots, they're over there causing bother, this is, this is not good for us, this is not good for trade. So King William sends a message <clears throat> out to all of the English settlements and all of the Dutch settlements yeah. nearby and says, don't trade with the Scots. Don't trade. Mm-hmm. Do not trade with the Scots. Now, he's partly doing this because the East Indies companies are putting pressure on him, but partly because he is at war with France. And as I say, Spain's the other big power. The last thing he wants to do is antagonise the Spaniards. Because for the first time in a while, they're relatively at ease with the Spanish. Exactly. And this is geopolitically quite important, I Really think. important, because yeah. yeah. Spain are a big, rich power at that time, yeah. because they've got all this silver coming in from, sure. from South America. Sure. And so the last thing he wants is to tick off the Spaniards, and the Spaniards to say, well, we'll go to war with the French with you. You with know, we'll, you. we'll be against yeah. you in the war. Yeah. So they yeah. do not want that one little bit. And although... You know, Scotland is a separate nation. He's king and the Spaniards are just going to go, well, you're king of Scotland. Come on, sort this out. So so he's really not wanting the Scots to prosper. So the Scots had a struggle on for a little bit and a little bit and they're really not doing very well and they're running out of decent food because, as I say, the, the local folk are just looking at them going, well, you're idiots, you know. <laughs> You've got nothing to trade. Go away, silly people. Nobody else wants to trade with them. The Spaniards are sort of growling at them a little bit. And noticeably, the sailors on the ships tended to stay on ship because they're not daft. Sailors <laughs> sail yeah. all over the world. That's the job. They've got a water supply on the ship. Yeah. Thank you very much. They're yeah. also catching turtles. Um, this is going to sound a little bit gruesome, but if you can catch a large turtle, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about turtles because I'm not a biologist, but their bladder, the water in their bladder mm-hmm. is almost yeah. pure water. Yeah. And so what they would do is they would catch these turtles put them on board, and then periodically slaughter one. You can eat the turtle meat and you can drink the water. So the sailors know these things. The idiot Scots in Darren... four-legged coconut. Exactly. It's perfect. (laughs) You know, it's absolutely perfect. And they're slow moving and you can stack them up on top of each other. It sounds awful for the poor turtles. But the sailors knew what was coming. (laughs) Because as the year turns, you get malaria, you get swamp fever, you get jungle fever. And they start to die. And I mean, they start to die. The death toll is so high that you've got people dying at the rates of 10 a day. To the extent where about 900 of the original 1,200 die. Actually perish, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, this is where it's just, oh, it's just absolutely awful. And so the remaining few just go, oh no, this, this this is the end. We can't do it. So they get on board ship. And they sail away and they end up in New York. Now, at this point, two or three things all happen at the same time. So it's nice and confusing. So some of the people that go up to New York say, right, nowhere to be seen, and they disappear off into the sunset. Others think, let's go back and try again. Uh-huh. So they they sort of have a couple of like rescue ships just to, to identify them. So there's a couple of rescue ships from New York going back down to see what they can salvage of the situation. At the same time, there's a couple of supply ships leave Scotland because this was the original plan. The first five ships would go over and then a couple of supply ships would follow. Mm -hmm. So by this time, we're into sort of July of 1699. 
So a couple of supply ships from Scotland are heading over. So the the ships from New York head down um, and they're sort of going, oh God, what are we going to do here? Um, and the supply ships from Scotland are coming over and the supply ships turn up and they're just utterly devastated because the thing is, people had been writing letters home. Yeah. Dear Dad, having a great time. Wish you were here. Or the 17th century equivalent. Hi, Mum. We, we're planting crops. It's going really well because nobody wants to be the one to say it's not working. Yeah. Because although when they didn't When you go, have... will you send back a letter from America? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the problem is that most of the reasons why it's failing is nothing to do with the Scots. It's not yeah. their fault exactly that the Spaniards are growling at them. It's yeah. not their fault that the English and the Dutch settlers won't trade with them. Yeah. So they're really angry and upset and confused because they don't know that the settlers have been told by the king not to trade with them. They just know they're not trading with them. Yeah. Yeah. So they're sort of confused. So they're writing letters home, trying to sort of keep up morale, and it's uh-huh. okay, and I'm yeah. having a great time, and you know it's all going well, and it's a beautiful country. So when the supply ships turn up, they're going, "What on earth happened?" There's like gravestones all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. Can you imagine it? You turn up, you think you're going to go to this great colony, and and it's, it, I mean, they're literally graves. So you're like, "That's that's my brother's grave," yeah. or things yeah. like this. Yeah. And they're just going, "Oh my god!" You see, so. They leave as well, and they just head off to New York. They're just not oh, kind of bothered with this. They, these are the supply ships that have left from Scotland, New Amsterdam. No, these are the ones that have left from Scotland. Sorry, yeah. the supply ships from Scotland. Uh, okay, okay. Right? Um, the ones from New York, New Amsterdam, they arrive just after the supply ships have gone. Now, at this point, oh. the Spanish are getting a bit worried. Yeah. Because initially, the Spanish saw five ships turn up. And five ships leave. And they went, ha ha, they've gone away. Yeah. It's been abandoned. Job right? done. <laughs> and the local, the local folk are saying, ah, they came, they went, they've gone, right? Yeah. Now, the Kuna people are not pally with the Spaniards, but that's, we'll come to that in a wee minute, but they're saying, yeah, they've gone, right? But now two ships have arrived from Scotland, and then they've gone. And now two ships have arrived from New York. So the Spaniards are seeing ships coming and going and coming and going. So this is starting to look as if there is a settlement yeah, there. And they're yeah. starting to think, well, the Kuna people don't like us. So they're probably lying about the fact that it's been abandoned. I'll bet it's a really good settlement. So the Spaniards are getting more and more <laughs> antsy about this. Yeah. At this point, however, in Scotland, a second expedition sets out with another thousand people on it because everybody's read the letter from Jimmy from Selkirk saying, yeah. it's a great thing, come along. So another load of ships set off from Scotland. Now, the two rescue ships from America, one of them has gone on fire by accident, maybe deliberately set on fire, mm-hmm. maybe on accident. There, there, it was possibly set on fire so that people couldn't leave to force them to stay at the colony. We're not quite sure. Uh-huh. So the second expedition... It's what you call pit- leadership. <laughs> <laughs> so the, now, the... the, the there's a chap called Drummond who had been yeah. one of the leaders yeah. of the first expedition and he's there when the second expedition pitches up from Scotland. The second expedition pitches up, they come on and they say, what on earth happened here? Yeah. And they take one look at Drummond and say, what happened? What happened? Come on, what happened? And Drummond says, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't understand, you don't understand. There was fever and there was the malaria and then the Spaniards have been growling at us and the local people won't trade with us and, and the English won't trade with us and the Dutch won't trade with us and, and it's been awful and, and you know, people have been dying mm-hmm. and we haven't got proper water supply. 
And the second expedition just say, you're an absolute shower. Why didn't you organise this better? What do you mean there's not a decent water supply? That's just stupidity. And why were you sending home letters saying that this was wonderful? Great. Yeah, yeah. And there's a huge argument between them, between the two. And so you've got the leaders of the first expedition and the leaders of the second expedition literally fighting each other. I mean, literally fighting each other. And you have the situation where the the sailors are on ship getting drunk because they just go, look at this shout of idiot, right? So there's a huge punch-up going on, right? The sailors on ship by this time are just sitting there going, are we, go- are we going to get paid to take this lot back to Scotland now? What's yeah. going on, right? And at this point, the leaders of the second expedition arrest the leaders of the first expedition. The leaders of the first expedition say, you haven't got the right to arrest us. And they're like, shut up, you're arrested. Right? The non-leaders, the people that are just sitting there, they've lost the will to live. I don't blame them. And then they start dying off of malaria and fever and everything else. So the thing is in total chaos. Enter the Spanish. Because at this point, the Spaniards have seen more people coming in. They're thinking, that shower of Kuna so-and-sos, the lion shower of so-and-sos that they are. They told us. Mary, I have to interrupt you. I'm sorry for laughing, but you're describing the Brexit scenario perfectly. (laughs) I hope the Brexit Opportunities Minister is listening listening because things are going so well. So well, right. So the Spaniards are shouting at the Kuna people and the Kuna people are like, I mean, I don't know what the Kuna people thought of the entire affair, but the Kuna people think, actually, you know what would be a good idea? See if both this bunch of stupid, idiotic white people that we never asked to come to our place, it's a wonder if they had a fight, they could kill each other. That would be really good, then they'd go away and leave us alone. You you mean the Spanish who keep throwing a Bible at their feet and and killing them as they don't? Exactly. (laughs) And the poor Kuna people, they've got the Spanish priests yelling at them. Uh And then in the second expedition, the second Darien expedition there was a whole bunch of Kirk of Scotland ministers so if they weren't being yelled at by Catholic priests they're being yelled at by Calvinist ministers screaming about predestination <laughs> poor so no wonder the poor Kuna folk are like that yeah. oh go away will go you please away. all go yeah. away yeah. so the Kuna people tell the Spaniards that the Scots are armed to the teeth and they've got hundreds of cannons and muskets <clears throat> and they're going to fight you now there are a few cannon on the ship with the sailors, the sailors are like, we're not fighting anybody. We, we didn't get paid to start a punch-up. No yeah. chance, right? Yeah. So there's a bit of a battle. And strangely enough, in the first battle, the Scots win, which is actually not a good idea because the Scots win the first battle and that sort of rallies them all together because they've got a common enemy yeah. in, in, in the Spanish. How true. You see, so they sort of rally together and they stop fighting amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. But because they've had this small battle, the Spanish go... All right then. And they come back mob handed. Gloves off. <laughs> so they come back mob handed, right? Realise the Kuna people this time are no doubt up in the hill just laughing. I don't know what they're doing, but they're like, idiots, right? So they've gone. So the Spaniards and the Scots are facing each other off. And the Spaniards take one look at the Scots, realise that the cannons on the ship are not going to be used because the sailors by this time are literally hoisting anchor. They're about to skedaddle, yeah. right? So they're, they're not involved in this fight at all. And the Spaniards take one look and realise about the water supply because they know the area. And it's one of the reasons they hadn't settled the area was the issue with the water supply. So they actually don't fight the Scots and they just sit there and wait them out whilst the Scots die of disease. 
again and yeah. again and yeah. again. Yeah. And then eventually the Scots surrender and the Spaniards go, right, get on your ships and get. And go. And they Fathers. leave. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And the Kuna people presumably get their land back to themselves. The Spaniards go back to stealing silver from the rest of the yeah. folk in South, yeah. South America. Yeah. And the Scots are now on ship. So this, the ships set off for Scotland. And then the ships divide. Most of the ships go nowhere near Scotland. They go up to America. They go up to New York because they can't face going home. What on earth are they going to do? How are they going to explain this complete and utter disaster? A couple of the ships limp into Glasgow and then they have to explain that of the 2,500 people who went out, about 2,200 are dead. And you remember that £400,000? It's gone. Every last penny of it is gone. And the country is completely bankrupt. I mean, there are people literally being shunned by their families, having doors slammed in their faces because it has been an absolute unmitigated disaster. And that, if you like, is just part one of Darien. It's the legacy the of Darien that's even worse. That is even worse. But yeah. So you're sitting in the year 1700, you're going into the 18th <clears throat> century, yeah. And Scotland is broke and is humiliated and has the English Parliament literally eyeing it up like a wolf slivering over a lamb. And And that's it. It's such a difficult thing to do. I'm going to do a historical parallel here, if you don't mind. It's such a difficult thing to do to admit to having backed the wrong horse in a race. Absolutely. We're yes. seeing it today with those who voted for Brexit in the belief there would be sunny uplands. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a very, you cling to that decision. No wonder they were embarrassed to, to go back. No, yes. no yeah. wonder. Maybe before we finish, just one other dimension I'd like to explore. King Billy, no disrespect, <laughs> in, 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 intended. William the third? William the third of Scotland, William II of England. Okay. Got that the other we always yeah. have that numerical thing. Yes. Can you put yourself in his shoes for a moment? We've had the Union of the Crowns. Yep. But there is no Treaty of Union yet. Yep. In addition to the, 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 the mercantile interests of the Spanish and the Dutch and the French, is he also wary of an increase in Scottish nationalism and, 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 and a sense of independence. Yes. Because, because I believe that, that Darien was not driven by colonialism, but was a search for the, the Scottish identity in a sense. Darien was, was to give the Scots, if you're going to be an independent nation, you have to have yeah. a sound economy. Yeah. And Scotland didn't have that sound economy. And yeah. you're absolutely right. What yeah. was happening was because England kept pushing for a, a, a union of the parliaments, the harder they pushed, yeah. what actually got is you got the Jacobites because you got the Jacobites that absolutely. had never forgiven the fact that James II of England, the seventh of Scotland, had been bumped off the throne. Correct. And so what you were doing is, um, well, we, we, we need to talk about this in another podcast because this is all part of the legacy. Yeah. This is it. So William is, is wanting this political union. Yeah. And the more he pushes for a political union, the more he's pushing the Jacobite cause to sort of, it, it sort of 
grows. It's it's actually nurtured by William. By William. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I make that point because I, I feel that if it's not correct here, when there is a second independence referendum in Scotland, mm. I think many of the scenarios behind Darien will be played out yet again. Yeah. The argumentation will be very similar about the incompetence, the inability, and so on and so forth. And my own view is that the question of whether Scotland could be independent is long long answered in the affirmative. Yeah, absolutely. It's a should question. Yes, rather than a... And I have no doubt that that Indiref 2, as it's called, and you know where I would vote in that, <laughs> um, will be Darian Mark 2. <laughs> but I thank you very much for, for that, really well explained. I think, as you said, we need to do a second podcast because we are borders blatherings. I think there must have been some major impacts on this part of the world. Absolutely, yes. And perhaps in part two we can explore that in greater detail. Yes, definitely. Mary, thank you very much. Thank you. That was great. <laughs>